2: not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life.
0: New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever
1: you get your podcasts.
0: What, what does it mean to be home? What does home mean? If you want to understand homelessness... You have to understand what home is, and you have to understand that you might be comfortable in your middle-class, upper-class, three-, four-, five-bedroom, multi-bath home, but you could literally be homeless inside that place. It's coming to a biblical understanding of what it is that Christ wants you and I to understand about home.
1: Welcome to the Experience Jesus Calling podcast. Alan Graham is the founder, CEO, and president of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. Eighteen years ago, a desire to help the homeless led Alan and four friends to purchase a catering truck. With this, he began to go straight to those in need and provide them with food and clothing. Since that time, the organization has grown to 20 trucks in multiple cities and serves over 1,200 people daily. Alan shares a little bit about his background and the life-changing moment that led him to want to make a difference in the lives of others.
0: My name is Alan Graham, and I'm the founder, CEO, and president of Mobile Ocean and Fishes, which was founded about 18 years ago in 1998 uh, by myself and uh, four other white guys, I like to say, uh, from a pretty high-income uh, neighborhood, thinking that we were going to take a catering truck, uh, put a little TLC into it, and take it out onto the streets loaded with things that were given by people who have abundance to be distributed to the men and women that we see out on our street corners who lack uh, that abundance. Simply, that was the beginning of what I now see as a a pretty large kingdom movement. I think when you look back at what I call the seamless garment of the body of Christ and the thread that I play that's woven into that uh, seamless garment, it goes way back My mom uh, was profoundly mentally ill and struggled uh, very deeply. I tell people that the only memory that I have of my mother and father together as a husband and wife under the same roof was when I was about four years old and my mom was standing on a bed with a knife in her hands, threatening my dad. And then the next thing I know, my mom is in in a hospital. Now mom's kind of out of the picture. During that period of time, my mo- my dad divorced uh, my mom, served her with the papers while she was in the hospital, and unleashed uh, the Armageddon of a custody battle, attempting to strip my mother entirely of her uh, maternal rights. She gets out of the hospital. Me and my brothers are back uh, with her. And then uh, her mental health was never going to be strong enough to raised four boys. By the time I'm in third grade, she's uh, spinning out of control again. She's reinstitutionalized. We're back with my father and now stepmother. And um, he unleashes another uh, custody battle that he loses. And uh, she gets out. We're back with my mom. Uh, This is now basically the late 60s. By the time I'm in uh, junior high school, uh, juvenile delinquency is uh, just rampant, and I'm arrested for car theft. Uh, me and my friends used to, really started just joyriding with people's automobiles, and then it turned into a uh, kind of a de- destruction derby event that we put on. I ended up in the Harris County Juvenile Dissension Center, and it's day one, day two, and these are stark places. And I'm in a place where I'm surrounded by other uh, boys that I'm thinking that I'm not one of them, but actually I am uh, one of them, and nobody's coming to get me. My mom's spinning out of control, you know, day four, five, six, eight, ten, and I'm realizing that my next address is probably going to be Gatesville, Texas, where the, the juvenile prison thing is. But on about day 14, my dad shows up and gets me out and brings me home to him. and. He intentionally left me in there to marinate for that two-week period of time. My childhood was phenomenally dysfunctional, unsettled, not rooted uh, in, a, in a place. But then I fast-forward to today, where I have celebrated a uh, 32-year marriage, one house that we've lived in, five children have been raised uh, by us, and the rootedness that my family has uh, today— is extraordinary in the contrast between the two. How that ended up, for me, I can only attribute to God, you know, guiding me and having a purpose for me and moving me along for that purpose, as I think He does for each and every one of us. So I got involved in the business community and started getting into real estate development in the 1980s. and. You know, that failed because uh, the economy uh, really tanked in the mid to late 80s, but I battled our way out of that deal and then uh, began to rebuild my real estate career in the early 90s. I realized at that time that I'm an entrepreneur. You can't keep me inside of a box. I need to to be out there and create. And we started developing air cargo facilities on airports around the country, and, and that was going pretty grand. So the real estate development, the networking part of it, running businesses and building uh, things, I think was a great equipping time frame for me. I was a seven-day-a-week workaholic. I still am. You know, I remember one day on a Sunday morning just sitting, reading the newspaper, which I did on Sunday mornings before I got up and got dressed and went into the office to do a couple hours of work just to get ready for the week. Front door opens up. And she's headed out the door with a couple of, maybe two or three of the four kids that we had. One child was a niece that we raised later on. And it looked like the train was leaving the station at that point in time. So I decided to jump on and go back to church with them. I started just buying books and studying the faith and I became enthralled in the journey of the church from, you know, the birth of Christ you know, beyond. And I developed this real intellectual relationship with Christ. Then in 1996, I was invited to go on to a, uh, a men's spiritual retreat that's called CHIRP, Christ Renews His Parish, C-R-H-P. They pronounce it CHIRP, 30-hour weekend deal. I'm completely uncomfortable in this environment, and but I can't escape. I'm thinking I'm going to go and network with some high-net-worth Catholics and maybe learn a little bit about my faith. had nothing to do with any of that. I was saying to myself, well, the first opportunity I'll get, I'm going to bail. And then these men started getting up and giving their testimonies, the forgiveness, reconciliation, healing, and redemption of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I started seeing myself in these guys and then loved the redemption side. By the end of this weekend, this intellectual relationship that I had up here, just bam, dropped the floor right into my heart. And for the first time, I think, in my life, I felt the genuine presence of the Holy Spirit and what that was like. And I didn't want that to end. And so I just, at that moment, began to adopt a philosophy that continues to this day called, just say yes. God, if you're calling me, I'm going, man. Tell me what you want me to do. It's Like, there's two rheostats on the wall. Those are the little knobs that you turn on and that brighten the lights. And so I had, in the Alan Graham life, two rheostats on the wall. One of them was the professional rheostat, my real estate development rheostat. It's turned up all the way, bright light. And then I had this little ministry light that, not on at all, uh, really. And that chirp experience, took that light, and turned it on. I got my real estate deal going, and I'm going to start a ministry at church. That's what's going on. And uh, so, me and my buddies go out, and we buy uh, the catering truck. All along, I'm feeling this, wow. I mean, I'm having a blast. I'm being affirmed uh, by what I'm doing, and I'm I'm meeting all these crazy people down on the streets, and I love that. I could see that this was headed in some uh, type of a direction. And The late, you know, probably 98, 99, uh, somewhere, my partner and I with the air cargo facility thing, we were struggling. And again, I look at it as God, you know, moving me in a different direction. And then I, I started to pursue the air cargo thing by myself, was getting zero affirmation on that, while at the same time, Mobile Loaves and Fishes was really beginning to grow. And in about 2001... The board of Mobile O's voted to pay me a $30,000 a year salary, which, uh, I mean, my last income year in the real estate was probably half a million bucks. And I had sold all my interest in the air cargo facilities to my partner, and we had a couple of years to be able to live on that, and then we had to figure out what was going on. So that money ran out, and we were several months beyond that. And... uh, I get a call from my church, and they want to hire me uh, on as a salary with full benefits to help manage uh, stewardship, raising money uh, for them. The trucks are going out, and we're expanding the truck operation. It begins to move into San Antonio, and then uh, 2005 in New Orleans, and then you know it starts expanding into Nashville, and and then multiple other cities. In 2003, I started something called a street retreat. And about 20 of us, led by me, went and spent three nights on the streets. And uh, I've now done about 50 of those retreats, spent about 150 nights on the streets. You just begin to develop these intimate relationships with the men and women that you find out there.
1: Allen had dreams for how he could bring hope to the homeless, not with just basic needs, but with a sense of community and purpose. His desire was not only to help them thrive by having a place to live, but to educate others on the plight of the homeless, shedding light and humanizing those who deal with this condition. Allen's dreams and prayers came to fruition with the advent of Community First Village, a 27-acre master-planned community that provides affordable, permanent housing and a supportive community for the disabled, chronically homeless in Central Texas.
0: In 2005, a friend of mine, one of my co-founding brothers and uh, my best uh, one of my best friends, uh, Bruce Agnes, uh, was looking at purchasing a ranch in Fredericksburg and said, let's go look at this ranch, and we, we drive down there and... Uh, there's an old hunting camp with an RV on this hunting camp, and I jump out of the truck run over and look at this RV, and I said, you know, I could I could live in something like this. And that was in 2004, and we went and purchased a gently used RV for $5,000, and in March of 2005 uh, lifted one guy up off the streets into that RV. And that started this movement that now led to, the $17 million, 250-unit, community-first RV park on steroids that we now have in uh, in Far East Austin. We have uh, about 110 people that live in there now. About 30 of them are people that live there missionally. They're called by the gospel uh, to live there. We have entrepreneurs that live there, uh, nurses, retired uh, priests, uh, architects, firefighters, school teachers. And then 80% are men and women. That were formerly chronically homeless, living on the streets of Austin, Texas, uh, in a place not considered habitable on human standards. We have a farming operation, a blacksmithing operation, uh, an art house, community market, clinics, an outdoor Alamo draft house, movie theater, an amphitheater, catering operation. It is just active almost seven days a week. It's an incredible place of of community, and that is the movement that we're trying to return to. We're trying to reorient the body back to God's original purpose, which is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, just after God creates the Garden of Eden, which has got everything in it that you and I need, a movement that recognizes that the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. And if something happens with inside the family, it's up to the metaphorical village to continue to raise its children. And we don't cease being children at 18 years old. It goes on and on and on. We don't abdicate this responsibility to the government. It's our kingdom responsibility. As long as we keep distance between us and them, whoever the us's and them's are, it's easy for us to judge and stereotype the them's. they're they're out there. They're beyond the tinted windshield of our uh, SUVs with Sirius XM pouring into the the deal. When we get out of that environment and go connect with them one-on-one and begin to sit down and go, oh, you actually have a name. Really? Awesome. Tell me about yourself. Well, uh, I was born in 19-whatever, and, you know, my mom was—suffered, from mental health. Well, my mom suffered from mental health issues. And so all of a sudden, there are these connecting points. You begin to realize that we are more alike. And even if we're all dressed up and got all of our uh, fancy smancy stuff on, underneath uh, the shell that we present to people also lies the truth of who we are. And that's where the stereotypes begin to fall. One of our challenges in an organization like Mo- Mobile and Fishes is to make sure that we keep it centered on Christ 100% of the time. And I tell people that, look, I may have the earthly title of founder, president, and CEO, but Christ is who is running this deal. He's given us a vision, and we're locked into that vision, and it's on paper, and we're not moving outside of that vision. We are focused on this particular issue. And so... You know, we're always scrambling uh, to start a a staff meeting with Scripture and stuff like that. I'm not like a pastor, so I'm not going to spend the night before studying. And the Jesus Calling came up several years ago and uh, went and bought a copy. And uh, it fits my ADD, entrepreneurial personality, in a perfect way, because I can just crack it open, read it. There's Scripture references there if I want to do the uh, scriptural references. I could go study those. But what I do is I open up the meeting with today's uh, reflection out of Jesus Calling. We have 45 people around the table now, or roughly that, that number of people. And I'm going to call randomly on someone around that table to reflect on what it is that I've just read. So everybody knows that. We've been doing that for years. And so listen, you know, and then let's crack open what that means not only what does it mean for you personally, but what does it mean in context of what we're doing. So it's been very, uh, very powerful. I've always known that if we were ever going to translate a story that flowed out of my life uh, into a book, that somebody had to come alongside me uh, to do that. And they had to be able to capture the essence of who I am, which is not I mean, I don't think it's easy for anybody to capture the essence of anybody else without being pretty gifted in that area. And this book marshals us through eight characteristics of home. Home is a place of permanence. Home is a dwelling place. Home is a place of embodied inhabitation. Home is a place of hospitality. Home is a place of safety and refuge. Home is a place of stories and memories. It's often said that the mortar that holds the bricks of even the most impoverished home together are the stories and memories that flow from that home. Home is a place of orientation. My compass is always oriented to my home. And last and not least... Home is a place of affiliation and belonging. It's where we want to be, and it's where people want us to be. And that culturally, for a displaced America, would be the greatest gift of uh, the outcome of the movement that we're creating in, in the book, Welcome Homeless.
1: Alan's new book, Welcome Homeless, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home, is now available everywhere books are sold. For more information on how to be a part of Mobile Loaves and Fishes or Community First, visit their website at mlf.org. Today's featured passage comes from the February 26th entry of the Jesus Always audiobook.
2: Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. The ability to see is a great gift. I grant glimpses of my glory via visual beauty in nature. Great paintings, sculptures, and cinematography can also help awaken your soul. Rejoice in these glorious gifts, but do not become enslaved to appearances. I am primarily interested in the condition of your heart, and I work to create beauty in it. It is vital to set aside time for nourishing your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. A wellspring is a source of abundant supply. Since you belong to me, my own life flows through you. However, to keep this life flowing abundantly, you must protect your heart from evil influences and nourish it with Bible study and prayer. Aligning your priorities with my teaching can be very freeing. When you don't like the way things look in your world, close your eyes and gaze at who I am. Remember that I am Emmanuel, God with you.
1: Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.